Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with the vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you, and you're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Ellis. And good Friday morning, everyone. No, it's not Jenna today. Fred Jackson sitting in for Jenna. Certainly an honor to do so today. And you are waking up this morning on this 25th day of August to history. History being made last night at the Fulton County Jail in Georgia with Donald Trump becoming the first president of the United States to have a mugshot. And I'm sure the mainstream media is just absolutely giddy this morning uh, because you're seeing that mugshot everywhere. Uh, Now, certainly uh, Trump's people did release it. In fact, um, they are putting it on mugs and T-shirts. Even as we speak this morning, uh, it's becoming a campaign issue. But last night, um, probably around 7 o'clock or so, the former president Uh, arrived at the Fulton County Jail where the other defendants in the Georgia case, uh, many of them have already been booked through there, including our own Jenna. And I have a statement from her I want to read in just a few moments. But uh, the former president was there. Uh, The mugshot was taken. Uh, Many, many supporters started to gather even a couple of days ago outside the jail. He gave a thumbs up as he was leaving after that before he took his flight back to Uh, New Jersey. He also had a brief meeting with the press on the tarmac there in Georgia. And uh, here's what he had to say. Cut number one. You should be able to challenge an election. I thought the election was a rigged election, a stolen election. And I should have every right to do that. As you know, you have many people that you've been watching over the years do the same thing, whether it's Hillary Clinton or Stacey Abrams or many others. When you uh, have that great freedom to challenge, you have to be able to, otherwise you're going to have very dishonest elections. What has taken place here is a travesty of justice. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. And that goes with the other ones, too. What they're doing is election interference. They're trying to interfere with an election. There's never been anything like it in our country before. This is their way of campaigning. And this is one instance, but you have three other instances. It's election interference. So I want to thank you for being here. We did nothing wrong at all. And we have every right, every single right, to challenge an election that we think is dishonest, that we think it's very dishonest. And that's what it's going to come down to. Uh, the, uh, the next court appearance apparently is within just a few weeks. And then the, the trial sometime after that, uh, at least one of the defendants is asking for a a swift trial sometime perhaps in October. Uh, We'll have to wait and see. Uh, One of Trump's lawyers, uh, Alina Haba, uh, certainly saying what a lot of people think is that this is nothing more than a political agenda for political gain by the half of the prosecutor there, Fonnie Willis, there in Fulton County. Next cut. 
You have DAs and AGs who are now able to come out and say, I want to get Donald Trump and elect me on that cause, and I'm going to do it. But they didn't bring it until now, and now they need a speedy trial. It's political interference, an election interference. You- yeah, and that's that's what we're seeing. That's what a lot of people, certainly supporters of the former president, and even if you back away from that, when you listen to the political and legal analysts, they all say this is ridiculous. Uh, some of these charges, some of the other jurisdictions, they say not even certainly the charges in New York, uh, uh, nothing wrong there. But as you heard, the former president said, it, "Are we going to make it illegal in this country to challenge an election result?" Because it's been done by both parties, as you're well aware. Uh, Certainly you go back to 1980, and uh, Democrats weren't happy with some segments of that election at that time. So it's happened before. So that's where we are, folks. Um, This is driven by politics. This is an effort to discredit. It is kind of scary when you actually think a Justice Department a federal Justice Department, and then you have these prosecutors in various jurisdictions around the country uh, that are Democrats, and they're using the power of their office to go after a political enemy. As the former president has often said, he said, it's really not about me. Uh, It's about all of us. It's about people with conservative points of view. And, And we need to pay attention to those kinds of comments because it's not political hyperbola. Uh, it really is about do we have freedoms in this country uh, and and do we have a justice system now that is allowed to go after the political enemies of the person who happens to be in the White House at that time. Uh, Julian Epstein, former Judiciary Committee counsel, says the prosecutor, he doesn't believe, has a case at all. I still think that if you are going to bring a case against the former president, it has got to be a compelling case, not just to 12 jurors, but to the country as a whole. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that this does that. I think there are a number of questions. The first question I have is that I have not heard a good answer to is how did it take the local prosecutors? And I'm saying this is a Democrat. How did it, did it take the local prosecutors three and a half years, nearly four Absolutely. years to bring mm-hmm. this case? Yeah. Why have they not answered the question about Fannie Willis's conflict of interest? She held a fundraiser for the opponent of one of the targets of this investigation. We haven't heard any answer to that question. Um, Third, you know, generally when a state and a federal government take on a very similar, almost identical case, the state would have to have a a rather distinct and articulable interest, a separate interest. What is the strong interest the state has here that is not being served by the federal prosecution? Yeah, a couple of points here. I hope you caught that. Why did it take over three years to bring this case? One might speculate, with a certain amount of obvious evidence out there, that this prosecution was delayed because they wanted to bring it up just before the 2024 election. And the other point that that Epstein was making there is that this prosecutor, Fonnie Willis, uh, has contributed money to the political enemies of Republicans. So that's, I, I mean, that's where we are, folks. And I think the the one good thing coming out of all of this involving the former president and some of the other defendants in this case, the one good thing coming out of this is the American people are catching on. They're catching on to what is going on here. And, and because we have a justice system, a federal justice system that goes beyond this particular case, 
we have a, an attorney general of the United States that is certainly, and this is putting it mildly, uh, showing favorites with the Bidens and the Biden family. You, a lot of people may have forgotten this. Supposedly, there's an investigation going on into the classified documents that Joe Biden we found in his garage next to his Corvette. We haven't heard anything about that. And, of course, the Justice Department knows, the Biden White House knows they can get away with this because the mainstream media covers for them. That is the only reason at this point. And then you have a Justice Department that's going after parents who speak out at school board meetings. All of this is going on. So it's, it's very, very obvious. You know, uh, I mentioned uh, Jenna, host of this program. Uh, she was booked uh, into that uh, Fulton County Jail on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, you may have seen some reports. She's facing, I believe, two charges. She, she issued this statement uh, after the booking. She said, thank you, AFR Net family, for standing with me and for your prayers. The last 48 hours have been quite eventful exclamation mark, and I can just see her smiling. She says, I'll be back on the air Monday morning and look forward to continuing our journey of faith and discussing the biblical worldview together. So there you have it. Uh, that statement from Jenna, and we sure look forward to having her back on the air uh, come on Monday. But uh, keep, keep the prayers up for Jenna. Uh, it, it's got to be, you know you're innocent, and it's got to be so tough uh, to be to be treated like a criminal like this and to know what's going on as the former president addressed last night before he headed back to New Jersey, that these are all trumped up charges. Uh, pardon the pun. They are trumped up charges and uh, it's all politically driven. This not only is the release of this mugshot last night unprecedented in history, but also you would have to agree that the way the media is treating this as well, covering and persecuting uh, conservatives, Republic, conservative Republicans, uh, this is unprecedented in this country. And there's got to be a point, and I guess the American people are going to have to decide this in 2024. They're going to have to decide whether they're going to continue to put up with this or there's, there needs a drastic change. You know, it's very interesting. The changes that, that, that we are seeing in this country, I was just reading a, a story this morning about the, uh, uh, the new leader in Italy. Uh, of course, the mainstream media dismisses her as, you know, far right and that sort of thing. Uh, she's actually spoken, I believe, at some, uh, some CPAC events. And uh, she's, she's very pro-family. Uh, Here's the other thing. Uh, she believes in secure borders. Imagine that. Imagine being condemned these days for, for believing in, in your borders. Uh, borders define a country, folks. Believing in secure borders, and yet you're dismissed as a right-winger. So there is a movement, I believe, in various, uh, various countries around the, country, uh, around the world uh, that we are finally seeing that people are waking up when the left is given power. Now, they may say in their election campaigns they're all for freedom, people's freedoms. But what we are seeing in these other countries and in this country, when the left take control, takes control, it's really about 
losing freedoms. And we're seeing that in spades on so many fronts with this Biden administration. Their climate change agenda. You know, talking about, uh, you know, basically forcing people into electric cars, although that is falling apart. Uh, We've seen uh, people aren't buying it. They're not buying electric cars. Um, That's why some of these plants are having to cut back on personnel because people don't want to buy the cars. As simple as that. I related on another program back a few weeks ago about a a guy who lives in Winnipeg, Canada, paid $130,000 for a new electric Ford F-150. So he plans to go on a family trip to Chicago, and he gets down into Fargo, North Dakota, and the thing starts breaking down, and he tries to get things recharged, and it's taking two hours, trying to find recharging stations, He ends up renting a gas-powered van to do the rest of the trip to Chicago. And I believe he has to have the F-150 towed back to to, to Winnipeg. It's just crazy. Those are stories that you won't hear on mainstream media, folks. But that's what's going on out there. There is the spin of the Democratic Party and their friends in the mainstream media. And then there's reality. And that's what's going on. So you're seeing a dose of reality ahead of the 2024 election. And people are simply going to have to decide where they stand on this. It was very interesting. We've got to go to a break here in a second. Very interesting. The, the polling is coming out on the debate the other night involving the other Republican presidential candidates. And according to this poll, uh, which was done by the Washington Post, Uh, They say DeSantis came out on top in that. Uh, In discussions on our network yesterday, there are debates about that, whether DeSantis had a good night. Anyway, this poll, uh, I think of 775 potential Republican primary voters, 29% for DeSantis. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, was second. And then Nikki Haley uh, got 15%. But all the others, including former Vice President Mike Pence, came in fourth with just 7%, followed by South Carolina Senator Tim Scott and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who both tied with just 4%. So, interesting polling. I'm sure you'll see more polls about this uh, uh, during, the, during the weekend, but very interesting. All right, when we come back, one of the big issues in this uh, coming 2024 election is going to be the education system in this country, what is going on, and the fight back from groups like Moms for Liberty. We're going to be talking to the co-founder for Moms for Liberty when we come back on this edition of Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Don't go away. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. And indeed, welcome back to this Friday edition of Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Fred Jackson sitting in for Jenna today. And as we mentioned, Jenna will be back in the chair on Monday morning. Um, She may talk a little bit more about her experience uh, being booked into the Fulton County Jail. She was only there for a couple of minutes uh, on on Wednesday afternoon and uh, was able to... uh, to leave, um, had her mugshot taken, and you probably have seen the pictures in the mainstream media of those defendants uh, who have already booked through there. I think there's another five that are going through there today. 
And uh, no doubt you'll see their pictures as well. But as we mentioned, Jenna issuing that statement, appreciate your prayers for Jenna. And uh, and she'll, like I say, be talking more about it, but continue the prayers uh, for Jenna as she goes through this. Well, as I mentioned just before the break, I believe education, education issues are going to be one of the pivotal points of the election campaign for 2024 uh, because we have problems in our education system across this country uh, in some jurisdictions. And I take it all the way to the attorney general of the United States. Remember how he attacked parents who were showing up at a county school board meeting there in Virginia, uh, referring to them as domestic terrorists in a memo that he issued because parents were simply concerned about what was going on at their school system, what was being taught. And with regards to, a transgender policy that allowed a boy who simply claimed he was a girl to go in and assault a girl in a girl's washroom. Then they tried to cover it up, sent that boy to another school. And thankfully, uh, it, it's resulted, really, uh, what happened in the education system of Virginia resulted in a change of state government there. But, you know, the, the battle is continuing in, in other jurisdictions across this country, And one of the groups that's fighting back, that wants to ensure that parents still have a say in their kids' education, and that group is Moms for Liberty, and and we're just really honored this morning to have a co-founder of that group with us, Tiffany Justice, and Tiffany joins us now. Good morning, Tiffany. Good morning, sir. How are you today? Doing really well. Well, listen, there may be some people who aren't familiar with your group. Tell us a little bit about... When you got started, why you got started? Tina Deskovich and I are the co-founders of Moms for Liberty. My name is, as you said, Tiffany Justice, and we're moms. Uh, First and foremost, I have four kids. Tina has five kids. And um, we got involved in our kids' schools like lots of moms do when you send your your child off to school. You go and you volunteer. And we both saw some things. Um, at our children's school and in the school district that we had some questions about. We pursued those questions, and it ultimately ended up in us running for school board. And so Tina and I both served on school boards, separate school boards. We didn't even know each other. But 2016 to 2020, we were uniquely prepared uh, for COVID. Uh, So when this moment came into schools where you had this great overreach uh, of parental rights, and I think we saw that in our schools, we saw that everywhere, all across America, right? The federal government, so much overreach into the rights and the freedoms of of Americans. Um, Tina and I were sitting on school boards at that time and, and really fighting and standing for parental rights. And our terms ended at the end of 2020, uh, in November of 2020, and uh, we met up and we said we've got to help these parents to be effective advocates in their school districts. We could see that parents were getting very frustrated and their voices were not being heard. And your parental rights do not stop at the classroom door. And so we started Moms for Liberty January of 2021. Um, our, we sold uh, T-shirts. To start, uh, with, we spent $500 and got some T-shirts printed that said, we do not co-parent with the government. And uh, now we have, uh, two and a half years later, uh, over 300 chapters in 46 states uh, with over 120,000 members. All right. You know, I'm an old guy. Uh, I went through the school system back in the 60s and the 70s. And at that point, there was not a difference in values between what you're being brought up with your parents' values at home, and the school system. Uh, The school worked with parents. 
if you got in trouble at school, mom and dad found out about it. And uh, so there was double jeopardy if you were a student back in those days. Uh, you know, that, so there wasn't a conflict. And, and quite frankly, there wasn't a conflict with the, with the government in those days. Everybody seemed to have an understanding of why children went to school and what the priorities were. So I, I like your opinion. What has happened? What, what is going on that the state all of a sudden believes it has a better idea of what our kids should be taught? The federal government since 1979, obviously, in the Department of Education, has become more and more involved in education in states. And this is really, you know, an issue of federalism. States uh, are, are, are the ones that your voice is, is, your voice is most important and heard the best closest to you in government. And so we have elected uh, school board members all across this country to represent constituents. But what happened was, I don't know that people ran for office for school board in the way that perhaps some union members ran for office. So normal moms and dads not as involved at that school board level. Um, the teachers' unions um, have had an incredible influence. And so as the federal government and their influence in education has grown, so has the hold of the teachers' unions across the country. And there is woke ideology, and we can talk about what that what woke means and what that ideology is, but really critical theory lays teaching um, that has entered into the classroom and, and steadily so for, um, I, I would say, you know, at least the past 40 years um, with um, values clarification teaching happening. And the question becomes, if they're teaching this values in school, whose values are they? And they're certainly not the parents' values we find right now. Many parents are, are very concerned about what's being taught in their children's classrooms, and when they ask questions and they want transparency, um, they're not getting that transparency. The other piece is we have very little accountability for failing schools in this country, with uh, right now, sir, two-thirds of American children not reading on grade level in fourth grade. Just shocking statistics, considering we will spend $850 billion on public education this year in America. You know, we're talking with Tiffany Justice, co-founder of Moms for Liberty. You know, Tiffany, you were talking about uh, your group has taken off with with uh, local uh, facets of your group now growing across the country. And, of course, when that happens, when a group like yours starts to expand and starts to increase its voice, uh, your enemies are going to come out. And uh, you've been... You've been uh, kind of painted with a, you're a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, how, how has that affected your group so far? Well, I should probably thank Gavin Newsom a thank you note. He liked to blast that all over the internet, but it only increased our membership and our funding. So thank you to all of the donors that have given to us because uh, the SPLC decided to try to paint us as a hate group. They actually said we were an anti-government extremist group, which doesn't make a lot of sense because we're set up by chapter, uh, the chapters are our counties, and we're very effective in these chapters. So we endorsed in over 500 school board races across the United States in 2022, one over half of those, with 76% of candidates who were endorsed never having run for office or served in office before. So you're talking about a huge new group of people that are getting involved, getting elected in our government process. It doesn't sound that anti-government to me. Um, you know, we're, as I said, we're effective 
if you had asked moms and dads across the country, who's your house rep? Who's your you know state senator? Um, you know, when's the last time you spoke to them? Do you know how to contact them? Who's your county commission member? Heck, who's your school board member? Right? Can you name your school board members? If you ask people in 2018, the answer might have been a little fuzzy. I don't know if all of our members would have been able to tell you that the answer to those questions. But what I can tell you now is they can. They can tell you exactly who is serving an elected office for them. They can tell you their track record, and they probably have their cell phone number uh, and staff cell phone number, and they're working with them on bills. So, you know, you get labeled uh, in that way. I think it's because we're incredibly effective, and the SPLC is a corrupt organization. And they are, uh, while I think it's an absurd designation, I understand why they do it. They want to try to hurt people, to try to make people not want to be a part of our organization or affiliate with us. But we are going to push right through that. And we're going to try to hold the SPLC to account uh, for this ridiculous labeling that they've done. Uh, Tiffany, the other night, I'm not sure if you watched the uh, debate of the Republican. I was there. You were there. Okay. Amongst the 4,000. But, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, education, uh, that came up certainly uh, as an important issue. Uh, One of the candidates saying they, you know, we've got to abolish the strength of the teachers union and blaming the teachers union for a lot of what's uh, what parents are facing these days. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, Senator Scott actually came out really hard against the teachers union, and that's been a stance that he's had for quite some time. Chris Christie spoke about it a little bit as well. He felt he was effective as a governor against the teachers union. What I would say back to that is the New Jersey teachers union is stronger than it ever has been and is one of the most egregious groups in fighting against parents. In fact, they put out an ad villainizing parents who are concerned about their children's education. That was shocking. To me. So, you know, American parents watched during COVID when we saw teachers unions keep schools closed. We saw Randy Weingarten and Becky Pringle fight to keep schools closed. In fact, in Florida, where I live, the Teachers uh, Association sued Governor DeSantis to try to keep our schools closed. So American parents had a big wake up call, like, wait a second, why do these unions have this much influence in our kids' education? They can keep our schools closed. And what our message to parents is and what parents are finding out, there are a lot of things that are happening in your school district because of your bargaining contract with your union that you may not even realize are affecting your kids. Is your child eating lunch at 10 o'clock in the morning? That's probably because of something in the bargaining contract. When I served on school board, I wanted to get rid of something called early release days. Once a month, we had a Wednesday half day and the teachers didn't like it. It wasn't good for the students. It was really hard for the parents, but the teachers union wouldn't let it go. They knew it was something that everyone wanted to change, except for the people at the table, and they held it hostage until they could get more money from us for something else. So teachers' unions not always making the best decisions for the kids in the classroom or the the teachers in the classroom either. As I said, oftentimes they're bargaining for those people at the table, the most senior uh, leadership within a union. So um, teachers' unions are stopping innovation from happening. That's the the best way that I can really share. If you want to give bonuses at one school because it's a harder school to reach for teachers or it's a, you know, it it takes them longer to get there or you're dealing with students who are coming in really behind in school and you want to incentivize teachers to teach there, 
you better check with your union first because chances are they're not going to let you give bonuses and incentives at that school. They're going to micromanage how you can create incentives. And so to me, that stops innovation. I saw it personally when I was on school board. Now parents have seen it across the country. And the unions, you know, they're not the primary stakeholder here. We should be teaching kids how to read in school, and that's not happening. And so, you know, I have no problem with the unions taking care of the teachers' needs, but let's be honest about what they're uh, priority is, and that's adult needs, not kids' needs. Tiffany, we may have somebody listening right now, a mom that's listening, and she's aware of concerns, and uh, she's hearing about your group, Moms for Liberty, and uh, she's thinking, okay, how can I get involved? Is there a group in my area? Can you talk to that mom that may have those questions this morning? I can. I would say hello to that mom, and you're right to be concerned. And we would love to have you join us. So if you go to momsforliberty.org, you'll see there's a big map there. And you can click on the state that you live, and there will be a drop-down menu. It will tell you what counties we currently have chapters in. If we have a chapter in your county, click on that chapter, and you will be taken to their website. uh, And also they're given some contact information uh, to be able to reach out to that chapter chair to join that chapter. Uh, If we don't have a chapter in your area, click to start one. Uh, There is a process. Uh, to go through uh, to start a chapter, you have to have 10 like-minded friends. You have to go through a vetting process. Um, but it might not be you that ends up being the chapter leader. Click to start a chapter and start learning about the process and about the organization. Um, and if you don't have a chapter yet and you're not ready to click to start one, reach out to a local chapter near you. Maybe attend a meeting. Um, I think what you'll find are, are some really lovely people who are patriots. They love America and they're very concerned about children and the future of children in America, and uh, we have a lot of fun working together. Tiffany, uh, have you had any trouble getting support from churches uh, who may have, you know, in their membership, uh, public school teachers, that sort of thing? Are you getting support from churches in in various areas? Um, You know, a lot of our members have very strong faiths, and I think they've worked to bring their churches along and to bring more information um, so, uh, but, you know, we're not a religious organization specifically. Um, you know, churches, uh, we would love to, to be able to come and speak more to, to everyone, including people in, in churches. Um, I, I don't know that I can say specifically we've had a ton of um, help from churches for locations, because I think a lot of times people are scared right now. You know, we need places to hold events. So if you're a church and you're willing to have an event and hold an event for us, reach out to your local chapter and let them know that. Um, there's a real effort to get us canceled in a lot of different places. Um, and, you know, so um, we, we certainly uh, love to work with lots of different groups, and churches are, are one of those. Church groups are definitely one of those groups that we would love to work with more. All right. Delight to talk with you, Tiffany Justice, co-founder of Moms for Liberty. Just once again, before we have to close out this segment, uh, give us that, uh, that website again and any information that people need if they want to get in touch with you folks. Yes. So go to momsforliberty.org. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, at moms, the number four, Liberty. I'm at, at for Tiffany Justice. I guess it's not called Twitter anymore. I guess we'll call it X, but the, the, the platform formerly known as Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think for Instagram, uh, go check out our YouTube channel. I've got a podcast called the Joyful Warrior Podcast, where you can learn more about issues that are impacting you and your family. 
Tiffany Justice, great to talk with you. And uh, folks, keep uh, Moms for Liberty in your prayers. Uh, they're on the front lines right now, and cer- certainly we appreciate, Tiffany, all that your group is doing. Thanks so much for being with us this morning. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. All right. Uh, much more ahead on this Friday edition of Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about that debate on uh, Wednesday night. Interesting response from Nikki Haley when asked about her pro-life views. I want to go over that once again and maybe have a brief discussion with you on that. 888-589-8840 is the number to call. 888-589-8840. We're back. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. And indeed, welcome back. Fred Jackson sitting in for Jenna this morning. She'll be back in the chair come Monday morning. In case you're just joining us uh, off the top of the program uh, this morning, we talked about former President Donald Trump was booked into the Fulton County Jail last night. He was released fairly shortly after that, after posting $200,000 bond. Uh, But what you're going to be seeing this morning uh, is a mugshot been released by the Fulton County Jail. And and, uh, certainly uh, the... uh, Trump campaign also releasing it. As I mentioned, they're putting it on coffee cups and T-shirts already. So that that mugshot's going to be out there. And uh, it's interesting how the mainstream media is treating that already, Uh, you know, speculating that the Trump campaign will use it for money, uh, money donations, that sort of thing. Uh, But also has a very sharp reminder, first time, first time, former president of the United States has been booked in, a mugshot taken, historic event. But really the, the big picture behind it, it is it's, it's such a vivid um, example of what's going on in this country right now with a justice system weaponized against political enemies. That's, that's kind of third world stuff, like Banana Republic stuff, like stuff that you would see in Cuba, stuff that you would see. It reminded me, actually, of what we've been experiencing in this country in recent days is what's happened in Hong Kong uh, since uh, China uh, took over there. What was it? It's almost 25, 26 years ago. But the decreasing freedoms of anybody who has an opposing view But that's what we're seeing. And we were just talking to our guest, Tiffany Justice, the co-founder of Moms for Liberty. You know, they're named a a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Uh, Simply because they say, you know what? Parents should have a say in their kids' education. And that when they send their kids to public schools, they're not turning them over to the teachers' union. They're not turning them over to a secular, anti-Christian government agenda. And they're labeled a hate group. Of course, the American Family Association has also been named a hate group. That's just another uh, another facet of the, the left's agenda. Just we're, we're just going to call them a hate group. Just because we disagree. Or they're, they're our political enemies. Because they don't agree with our left-wing socialist agenda. But that's what's happening out there. But the American people are catching on to this. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840, the number to call. I also want to get your reaction uh, to the debate the other night. 
Some interesting questions. Uh, we were talking a few moments ago about a Washington Post poll that is out there this morning. It was taken uh, in the last 48 hours or so. It, according to this poll of 775 potential Republican primary voters, uh, they say Ron DeSantis had a, a good night, 29%. Uh, they also said uh, Vivek Ram, uh, Ramaswamy uh, had a good night. Uh, he was 26% there. Uh, Nikki Haley, uh, former U.S. UN ambassador, uh, was the only other candidate to poll in double digits. She came in at 15%. Mike Pence, Tim Scott, Chris Christie all came in single digits. In fact, Tim Scott and Christie at 4%, Mike Pence at 7%. Going to be interesting to see who's uh, up in the next debate, which is next month, late next month, uh, the Ronald Reagan Library. But I, I mentioned just before the break, I wanted to review one particular aspect of that debate the other night. And that was when Nikki Haley was asked her points of view on a question about pro-life. Uh, abortion was a big issue in the midterms. I think the Democrats are going to try to make it a, a big issue in the, in the presidential election over the next several months. And uh, Nikki Haley had an interesting response. I want you to have a listen to her views on what she thinks should be the Republican Party should do on the issue of pro-life. Cut number seven. I think it's really important that all of us remember everybody has a personal story. So while I'm unapologetically pro-life, I don't judge anyone for being pro-choice. I think that we have to humanize this issue. We've got to stop demonizing this issue. I think the division in this country has gone too far. We have to start looking at the vision going forward. My vision is how do we save as many babies as possible and support as many moms as possible? If that's the case, be honest with the American people. Tell them what is possible and what's not possible and let's bring people together based on humanity not based on making people mm -hmm. hate each other and i think it's happened too long and i'm just not going to be a part of that i refuse to be a part of that uh, very similar she used let's we need to humanize this issue and uh, basically she's calling for some kind of consensus between the democrats and the republicans on this issue let's think about that for a second the Democrats are totally all in on abortion, folks. And don't let them tell you that that position, the position of the Democratic Party, does not include abortion up to and including the moment of birth. Because we know some Democrats are all in on that. But Nikki Haley's reference, let's humanize this. But you know, she talked about the advocates of abortion but she never talked about humanizing the real victim here, and that's the unborn baby. And she says, let's not demonize people. Well, you demonize what people believe because the killing of an unborn baby is murder. And let's not try to soft coat that at all. She says she's unapologetically pro-life. Well, that's good. I'm glad about that. But there is no middle ground here when you start considering the unborn baby. There's no middle ground. And yes, we ought to have compassion for a woman who has had an abortion. 
and now regrets it. She can be saved. She is forgiven of that. Understand that as a Christian. But you're not going to get a political compromise on this issue with a Democratic Party that is all in on this, who likes to refer to this as uh, women's health care. Abortion is not health care. It is a taking of an unborn baby's life. There cannot be compromise on that point. And quite frankly, I was disappointed in her response on that. And she ought to be called on it while she's out there campaigning. 888-589-8840. 888-589-8840. Your thoughts on what happened to the former president last night? Where all this is going? A weaponized justice system going after your political enemies, a desire to put them in jail for what many people view as bogus charges. All right, let's go to Jerry in Texas. Go ahead, Jerry. Is Jerry- yes, brother. So, two, Yes, sir. So two things she used was demonizing it, and to me, demon is a semblance of the war we wrestle against, not flesh and blood. Two is she said, let's tell the American people what's possible. Well... My understanding is that she's claimed faith in Jesus Christ, and if so, all things are possible. So don't, I cannot, will not stand with her on let's be realistic on a 12-month, 12-week abortion ban. Negative. Not going to happen. God says he created them in his image, and they are known to him before they are placed in the womb. So as a Christian, we give it to the people. For those that fought for 50 years to get it out of the courts and back to the people, those states that believe in that, which there is a majority of, I believe in my heart, in this country, we now take it to making it a responsibility of the individual that chooses that. And you chose to do what you did. Take that time. Yeah. All right, Jerry, thank you very much. Uh, 888-589-8840. Let's stay with our calls. We only have a few moments left. Uh, Philip in Texas, go ahead. Good morning. Hey, uh, I just wanted to relate that it doesn't matter uh, who is wanting to run. Why would anybody who want, were a Christian nation would want a Hindu, a Buddhist, or even a Muslim being president of the free world? That's my only comment with that, Vivek. He's not a Christian. Yeah, Vivek Ramaswamy, he is uh, a Hindu. It was very interesting, Philip, thank you for your, your comments. It was very interesting the other night, and I'm not the first to to remark on this, is that Vivek Ramaswamy, he has, I think, what he calls his Ten Commandments, uh, his Ten Points that he's, he's using as part of his political platform. Uh, he says he believes in God. Well, the central point of a Hindu religion is they believe in many gods. So some people are asking the question, okay, is he a cultural Hindu? Uh, In other words, he says he's Hindu, but he really doesn't adhere to the basic teachings of that religion. Um, I don't think we want to, in this country, make it a stipulation in law that one must be a Christian, because that is very dangerous, because uh, you can then come along, some other hostile government can come along and, and make changes that would bar Christians 
uh, or our bar people with a certain point of view on, let's say, abortion, running for office, that kind of thing. So we have to be careful of those kinds of things. But personally, making a decision about who to vote for, certainly considering where a person stands spiritually, uh, is a consideration that individual voters can make. All right. Uh, a lot of calls from Texas this morning. Larry, go ahead. Yeah. Hi. Uh, my, my question is the other night, uh, uh, Mike DeSantis, I think as Mike DeSantis mentioned during the debate that Ron, DeSantis, would, Ron you know, DeSantis. Yeah. Ron, I'm sorry. Ron DeSantis mentioned that he would put a stop to the players who make up the deep state. How come it, it seems like we're never, who are those deep state players today? How come that's, shouldn't that be brought up to the public so we understand who they are, who are those individuals, and then you'd be, have a better understanding how this would, you could put an end to it. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, the deep state, uh, when Donald Trump became president, he found out how deep the deep state is. Uh, what he found out, and we're well aware of this, and I don't want to rehearse what happened to him, the whole Russia collusion thing, because he found out just how political the Justice Department was, how political the FBI was, because also almost instantly uh, there were people in the FBI, people in the Justice Department who treated him like the enemy, not that he had done anything wrong, but that they didn't like his politics. And that's what drove the whole evolution of the Russia collusion. And for two years, Donald Trump had to deal with that while trying to run the country. So that's what we found out. We had a justice system, and that justice system remains very deep state. It has a political agenda. The fact that we have an attorney general of the United States, Merritt Garland, who just appointed, and this is a joke, special counsel uh, with regards to Hunter Biden, he, he appoints David Weiss, who has known the Biden family for many years, living there in Delaware, and that for over two years he's been investigating Hunter Biden and no charges were brought until after the FBI whistleblowers testified before Congress, letting us know how they were stymied in their efforts to go after Hunter Biden. The prosecution there in Delaware one of the examples that the whistleblowers gave notified Hunter Biden's lawyers when there was going to be a raid on a storage facility to get documents related to the investigation. So you had the prosecution calling the lawyers for Hunter Biden saying, hey, these whistleblowers, these, the IRS are going to be going to this facility to look for papers. We thought you should know. If that's not political interference, if that's not an example of deep state, I don't know what is. I think we have time for one more call. Let's very quickly go to James in Indiana. Go ahead. Good morning. Hey, I, I'd like to comment on your Nikki, uh, Nikki Haley stance on abortion. Sure. Um, I, think, I think she's exactly right. We have an electorate that has uh, 45% or more that believe in abortion and to try to lead in absolution where it's only one stance is not going to get us very far. So we know there's going to be compromise. The question is, where does it lay and, and what can we live with? Because I think it's absolutely wrong to have an abortion. But the reality is it's going to be with us. It's been with us for 50 years. It's going to be with us for a long time. So let's set the standards that we need 
and then work from there and not alienate half of the country. All right, James, uh, thank you for your opinion. I, I think the context for the remark the other night was whether there should be a national law when it comes to abortion. And uh, she was right on that point. We're not going to get 60 senators who are pro-life. That's not going to happen. And the issue coming out of Roe v. Wade was throwing it back to the states. And that's where I think most conservatives believe the question belongs. Individual states deciding to bring in laws. And that's what we have been seeing over 20 states, bringing in laws to restrict abortion. And uh, so I agree on that point. It should go back to the states. All right. Been a joy to be with you this morning. Fred sitting in for Jenna. As I say, Jenna will be back on Monday morning. Continue to pray for Jenna. She was booked in earlier this week uh, there at the Fulton County Jail. So continue prayers for her. All right. Have yourself a great weekend. More great programming here on American Family Radio. See you soon. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.